Old Testament, Daniel 3, 8 through 30. Daniel 3, 8 through 30. One of my top five stories of the Old Testament. It's hard to make those lists, I guess, and narrow things down to that, but this certainly is towards the top of my list. The story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Daniel 3, 8 through 30. The last message that I'll be sharing on what the Lord has been teaching me through my sabbatical travels and my time of rest and study. You're wondering about that title, aren't you? Uh, the Faith of a Marsh Wiggle. We'll get there later on, so don't worry about it so much right, right now. Um, I'll explain. It's okay. <laughs> right now we look to Daniel 3, um, starting at verse 8. And uh, I can tell that most of you have turned there in your Bibles. And so let's jump right into the text, having already prayed. Therefore, at the time certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews... They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, this amazing speech, O Nebuchadnezzar, We have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, 
But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over their bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. And no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thinking of the middle of that story where these three faithful servants of the Lord give their speech to King Nebuchadnezzar. We wonder what was going through their minds. I mean, we have obviously a sense for it because of the speech that they gave. But we can see and pretty easily, I think, put ourselves in their place. And we can wonder maybe how we would have responded. Because what they saw and how it seemed like things were going to go was discouraging to them, at least to some level, I'm sure. And there will be times in your life when you have to hold on to your faith in spite of what you see. In spite of what you see in front of you. There will be circumstances in our lives that could cause us to wonder about the legitimacy and the goodness of trusting in the Lord, of following Jesus. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have had many reasons in that moment to deny God and to worship the image of, the gold, of, of gold that Nebuchadnezzar had, had set up. They would have had that pressure upon them to just give up their faith and go with the requirements that Nebuchadnezzar had, Nebuchadnezzar had set up for them. They could have doubted Yahweh as the one true God because Yahweh's people at this point in the story, they're all in slavery, and Nebuchadnezzar seems to be doing pretty well. And the people who follow Nebuchadnezzar seem to be getting the promotions and having good things for them in, in their life. They seem to be getting rewarded. And so there's this external evidence that could be pressuring them to think that serving the Lord is a dead end. That there would have been internal doubts as well where these three men would have been wondering if they were wrong to trust in Yahweh. There's an old hymn, Just As I Am, a good hymn, that has one of my very favorite lyrics of, of any song, hymns or popular songs included. 
when it acknowledges that there are circumstances outside of us and there are things happening in our hearts that pull us towards unbelief. This little line, just five words, fightings and fears, within, without. And of course, the next line, O Lamb of God, I come, I come to you. There are fightings and fears outside of us, circumstances outside of us that, that war against our souls. There are things happening within us, fightings and fears that would prompt us to wonder at times in moments of weakness about the goodness of following Jesus. Is God faithful? Can I trust the Bible? Is God with me? Is the Christian way to live truly good? External and internal battles could cause us to wonder, especially when we see it seems like those living the other way, against God's will, are getting the top positions, are advancing in society, are popular, are thriving. It could seem like that's the way, and our struggle is leading nowhere. But the faithful servants of the Lord have faith faith, a clear-minded faith. Because of what they remember that God has done, and because they believe the word of God, their minds are impervious to that kind of, of doubt, ultimately. We find this great speech, one of the greatest of the Bible. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and say to the king, he's giving them this pressure, I'm going to kill you right now, and you have your chance to get out of it, if you just do this little thing and bow down to the statue, they respond, we have no need to answer you. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. That's faith. He will do it. But if not, be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Even if God doesn't make the situation go like we want, we trust him. Even if God, according to his sovereign purpose and wisdom, withholds some good thing, which for them in this case is even their very lives, even if he would withhold, uh, withhold it for a season, we put our faith in him and in his word. Now this doesn't mean that the Bible here or any other place encourages what is called a blind faith. We don't gather here at church or open our Bibles and turn off our brains and sort of close our mind off to the evidence that there is to trust in Jesus, to believe in the resurrection, to believe in a creator God. There's all kinds of evidence for this, but we also have to acknowledge that there are going to be moments in our lives where the circumstances around us don't appear from our very fallible understanding to be in line with the teaching and promises of the God of the Bible. You, want, you need to repeat that because I think it's really careful that, that you understand it correctly, what I'm saying. There are going to be moments in our lives where it appears to us falsely that what's happening around us or what's happening in our lives somehow ruins the promises of God somehow ruins the claims of the scriptures. There are going to be those moments where we look around us and we say, what is going on? 
how could I trust God through this? You read the Psalms, and almost one out of three Psalms is a Psalm of lament for that reason. And during those times, if you trust God, it's called faith. Will you trust God? Will you rely on him? Will you say like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we trust that he can do it. We trust that he is good. He's powerful. He's with us. He loves us. And even if we don't see him doing the thing we want him to do right now, we still trust him anyways. We can look back on the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and we can remember, I would guess as I started reading it, you already knew the ending of the story where they're delivered from the fiery furnace where There's a happy ending. Things come out well for them. But that hasn't always been the case in terms of that specific type of deliverance, immediate miraculous deliverance for the saints throughout the generations. We find vivid descriptions of faithful living in Hebrews 11 where there is a list of people, named and unnamed, who trust the Lord and walk by faith. Some of them receiving amazing blessing in this world of seeing God miraculously deliver them. Others among them going to their grave, trusting in Jesus. Listen to this description from Hebrews eleven thirty three through 39. Through faith, these people conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women receive back their dead by resurrection. So all amazing things. And this is meant to bolster our faith today that this can happen in our world. On the other hand, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, meaning they had faith. They had faith and and they trusted in the Lord but hadn't even heard yet of the gospel of Christ, this thing that they're putting their faith in the Lord and the true God. And so then the next chapter of Hebrews puts the question to the, to the reader, if you, if these people were able to live by faith, having not yet received what was promised, how much more should we, who have hindsight of the death and resurrection of Jesus, live with faith today? How much more should we who live in the new covenant and all of the promises of the new covenant walk by faith when these great saints in the old covenant were able to live in that courageous, faithful way. Knowing Jesus is risen from the dead, will you live by faith no matter what? So, obviously we saw the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walking by faith. They didn't have a guarantee that they were going to be delivered from the fiery furnace immediately, but that's what the Lord worked in their lives. And so we, you might be asking, now what about the strange title of the sermon? What is a marsh wiggle? A marsh wiggle. 
That's a character. It's a type of person who lives in C.S. C.S. Lewis's world of Narnia. So perhaps some of you have read these chronicles of Narnia to your children when they were little or seen a few of the movies that were produced in about 2005 to 2010 or so. So this world of Narnia created by the Christian theologian C.S. Lewis is a fanciful world ruled by a lion named Aslan. Aslan being very much the Christ-like figure in his stories. And a marsh wiggle is, you can see, pictured there, drawn by Pauline Baines, and is one of the heroes of the sixth book, The Silver Chair. During my sabbatical, I spent a lot of time reading, and I realized about two-thirds of the way through, everything that I was reading were biographies and nonfiction, and so I thought, well, why don't I pick up a, a book that could just be fun to read? And so I remembered really liking The Silver Chair when I read it to our kids a few years ago. So I picked it up and really enjoyed it once again, and I commend it to, to you for your reading. All seven books are great. My two favorites are The Voyage of the Dawn Treader and The Silver Chair. And so I picked this book up, and, and in the book we find a character, probably my favorite character of the whole series, Puddle Glum the Marsh Wiggle. <laughs> Puddle Glum. Oh, what a great name, isn't it? it? The name captures his personality, Puddle Glum. He's serious. He's usually on the pessimistic side of viewing things, but um, as it turns out in the story, that actually helps him see things a little bit more clearly sometimes than those who just have a rosy view of, of everything, no matter how bad things are. And so all of the Chronicles of Narnia books are full of biblical parallels and the silver chair, This book is no exception. So there's a situation in the end of the story that has direct parallels to the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And just as I was reading it, I was was seeing all of these parallels. And I think that sometimes these kinds of stories can, can help us apply a truth or see it in a new way. And so I want to share just a little bit with you a part of the story of the silver chair. There's a situation at the end of the story where an evil witch is clouding the minds of the heroes, including Puddleglum the Marshwiggle. So during the course of the story, there are three people, two kids and the Marshwiggle, who are in Narnia journeying down into caves below the surface of Narnia to find a long-lost prince. They find this prince, and he's held captive in a witch's castle, And so they go down, 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 further into the depths below Narnia, below the surface, to an underground city, which is uh, where trolls live, and they're ruled by this evil witch who doesn't seem evil. She seems very nice to everyone, but is keeping everyone under her thumb. They find themselves in a room with the prince, who they came to save, and with the witch. And the witch's response to them is to, to sing a song, and her song is to convince them that they're to give up on Narnia, give up on Aslan, give up on rescuing the prince, just give up. She says, don't believe in the stories that you were told as a child. It's time to grow up. Put those childish ideas away. And so the witch uses this potion, which she throws into the fire. You can see the image of it. And the, the potion fills the, the space they're in with like a, a uh, an aroma that they're breathing in and it's making them 
cloudy in their thinking and they're getting relaxed and the witch is singing with her little lyre and relaxing their minds. Here's her song. Come, all of you, put away these childish tricks. I have work for you all in the real world, this, this terrible, dark underworld. She says, there's no Narnia, even though they've just been there. There's no Narnia. There's no overworld, no sky, no sun, no Aslan. And now to bed all. And let us begin a wiser life tomorrow. But first to bed, to sleep, deep sleep, soft pillows, sleep without foolish dreams. And so they're getting dazed. They're becoming more and more uh, just wondering if, if maybe she's right, because it's been a while since they've been at the surface and seen the sky and seen the sun and seen Aslan. And Ben in Narnia, that's where they all just came from. And they're starting to wonder, maybe she's right. Maybe we should just give, give up and stay here. You can see it's a little bit of a different predicament than, Narnia, or than um, Babylon. But in, in the case of Babylon, there's the bowing down to the, the idol. In the case here, there is just giving up. Giving up on following um, or seeking um, to save this prince. So each character is dazed, except for Puddleglum. Uh, he's a little bit foggy in his mind, but being the most serious of the bunch, he runs over to the fire, stamps it out with his foot, which is very painful for him. But there's this great part where stamping the fire out also wakes him up even more. And so Puddleglum gives a speech, reminiscent of the speech that we read in Daniel 3.16. Puddleglum says this, Suppose we have only dreamed or made up all those things, trees and grass and sun and moon and stars and Aslan himself. Suppose we have. Then all I can say is that in that case, the made-up things seem a good deal more important than the real ones. Suppose this black pit of a kingdom of yours is the only world. Well, it strikes me as a pretty poor one. And that's a funny thing when you come to think of it. We're just babies making up a game, if you're right. But four babies playing a game can make a play world which licks your real world hollow. That's why I'm going to stand by the play world. I'm on Aslan's side, even if there isn't any Aslan to lead it. I'm going to live as like a Narnian. As I can, I'm going to live as like a Narnia as I can, even if there isn't any Narnia at all. So, this is the great statement of faith, and, and he says this, he snaps everyone out of their confusion. They, they remember again, Aslan is real, the sky is real, Narnia is real, and I won't give away the end, but it's a, it's a thrilling end, what happens right after that. So, what is, what is this teaching here, theologically? Uh, C.S. Lewis is not teaching us that the gospel is a fairy tale, that it's just something that's made up for um, our own sort of we need some purpose, we need some hope, and so we'll make up a fairy tale to help ourselves feel better. That's not what he's teaching here. He would never teach that. But he's giving a picture here of what it looks like to live by faith when the things around us seem to be suggesting otherwise. Faith is striving and longing for the Lord. And in Puddleglum's statement, there's a striving and a longing for what is good, what is true. Faith is about living as a child of God, even if the circumstances of your life are suggesting that you have been forsaken. 
So even though something's happening in your life that makes you feel forsaken by God, faith is saying, no, I know God is good. And I know he wouldn't forsake me because he said so in his word. That's what Puddle Glum is showing us. (laughs) That he's going to say, no, with all of this clouding and all this confusion um, happening around him, he's snapped out of it by the truth by remembering what he had experienced and he's going to walk in that way and live accordingly. So in the stories of Daniel 3 and the silver chair, faith precedes deliverance. The three servants of the Lord in Daniel 3 are saved from the fiery furnace, even have a visible presence of God with them in the fiery furnace itself. I'd love to preach a whole sermon just on that wonderful part of the story. And I'm not going to spoil what happens at the end of the silver chair because it's worth your time to, to go and read it. But they are, you know, don't think it's too much to say. They're delivered. They're helped. One of the main purposes I realize as I hear the story of Daniel 3 and as I read the silver chair during my sabbatical time, I, I thought a lot about one of the purposes of my work as a pastor. What is my work? What am I called to do? It is to remind you that the Christian faith will be proved valid. That the Christian faith is good to hold on to. That there are going to be circumstances in your life that would prompt you to wonder, should I continue? Should I keep going? Let's recognize that those moments are going to come in our lives. It's my role as a minister to stand before you and say, but God's word says... He's a good God. He's given salvation through Christ. Christ has died and is risen. Christ is coming again. So it's sort of my role in a, in a lot of ways as a pastor for you and I think for myself as well to be like Puddle Glum. <laughs> to say, have faith. Let's live by faith. Let's walk by faith. Sometimes in spite of what we see around us. Hebrews teaches that the Lord rewards those who earnestly seek him. The Psalms tell us those who fear the Lord and walk in his ways will be blessed. The I am statements of Jesus we've been considering on Sunday mornings remind us again and again that to be in Christ is to be alive. And there's going to be times when we feel like failures, like we're struggling, like maybe we would even feel like we're not spiritually alive at times or in moments of weakness, but The I am statements of Jesus say when you are remaining in him, you're alive. It's true. And so we praise God for when we can clearly see that these things are true. And I hope that your lives are full of moments where you can clearly see Christ is a good Savior. He's a sufficient Savior. That God is real and that the Spirit is with us. I hope that your life is full of those moments where you can see so clearly that God is real. But let's also pray that when we can't see things clearly, we'll still believe. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like Puddle Glum, the Marshwiggle, like we're called to in the Word of God. Amen. Let's pray.